0: to many of us and I know he has a word but last week we started talking about this is us as people of God in this world and we talked about vision that we are to um, God actually has a prophetic vision over our life in the word of God it says to uh that those without vision cast off restraint but happy is the the uh, happy are those who live by the word or live by the teaching and, we, and it says to write the vision down to make it clear so that he who sees it can run with it. And we looked at um, how to, to get a vision. We can't get that from the noise in the world around us, especially in this day and age, right? Because there's so much noise constantly that we're bombarded with. But we actually need to get into the presence of God and get into his word to get a word from God. And this week's kind of a follow-up message to that. But don't worry, you didn't need to be here um, to kind of know about that, uh, to get, you know, learn about that. I just gave you the summary, the points there. Really, it is that we all want a word from God, and we need to get in his word to get that word, and we need to silence the noise around us. But today, I want to continue to talk about vision, that we are us, this is us. We are a people of vision, but I want to kind of give a, a bit of balance to that, because God has a vision for each one of our lives. Amen. He has a vision for us as a church. that's to impact a thousand lives uh, every week in this, uh, in this city, through acts of kindness, of love, through gathering together and worshiping, through our small groups, through serving us. Um, then we have individual uh, visions for our life as well. But I want to talk about purpose and purpose and vision today and share from the scriptures because I don't ever want us to think that we get our purpose and meaning from what so we're going to talk about that it's actually from who he is and how much God loves us so we're going to talk about that today and uh, if you want to find out more about us I know there's some new people here today next week we have our next step starting one o'clock and how do they find out about that Shelby how do you register to it yeah, so if you want to fill out a card afterwards, you can go through our next step. So this is a Zoom thing, 1 o'clock, and it goes for four weeks. It tells you a little bit about C3 Church, us as a church, um, different ways, beliefs that we have and things. And it's an opportunity to ask questions, kind of find out more about if this is a fit for you. Um, it's not a fit for everybody. But I hope it's a fit for you and we aim to create a place for you. And Next Steps is the way to kind of find out best about that. So if you fill out a card afterwards, write on it Next Steps and um, you'll be able to get connected into that. But here's my question for us today. Can we waste a life? Yeah. Can life be wasted? I think obviously we say it can. But, I, but what is a waste of a life? If if you're a Christian here today, maybe you're not, and I'll give that invitation at the end if that's something you'd like to make. But I think we can all see, uh, whether Christian or not, that life can be wasted. We can waste time doing things that we shouldn't be doing. We can waste our attention and focus and energy on things. I remember once a a sermon that really impacted my life from a preacher named John Piper um, way, way back in the day. And he got up and contrasted uh, what, he asked that question, what is a waste of a life? He shared a story of some missionary friends he knew who were serving the poorest of poor countries, 85-year-old ladies uh, who'd single all their life, had devoted their life to the mission field. They were serving the poor people, feeding and praying and healing, and they were nurses, and the brakes gave out on their car, and they went over a cliff, and both of these two 80-year-old ladies died instantly like that. Is that a waste of a life? He then contrasted that by reading an article from Reader's Digest. Does anyone know what Reader's Digest is anymore? Yeah, we've got some nods. Does anyone read it anymore? I don't, I don't know. Maybe we do or don't. Um, some of you guys are like, what is Reader's Digest? What's a book? We just use screens. But um, I land somewhere in the middle of that age bracket. So, uh, but he shares this article from Reader's Digest about Bob and Penny. And Bob and Penny have taken, driving on their 30-foot trawler boat, And collecting seashells. And he says, what is a waste of life? They were living the American dream. The nice house, the nice car, a nice family, retired, collecting shells as the last chapter of their life before they're going to go and meet God and give an account for what they did with their time here on earth. The point of the sermon was not these things in themselves are bad, but when that's all we have to live for, when that's the pinnacle life, that we're actually, according to the Bible, wasting our life. But when we're living for something greater than ourselves, and we're not finding meaning in these things, but we're finding it in God and who He is and what He's doing, then we're not wasting our lives at all. I think often what might be considered a, a waste of life uh, through a worldly, modern idea is vastly different to what the Bible shows us, and that's what we're going to look at today. We're all created with a desire to make a difference on the planet. And is that, do we all have that desire? And I think as we get on in age and experience, and sometimes that desire can get um, maybe an uh, impact in the world. but I believe God actually has a purpose and a vision for all of us to find our purpose and vision in, in the context of Christ. So this is wrestled out a lot through the Bible and I'm going to wrestle that out a little bit more today. Sometimes we come to church to get answers. When I'm speaking, you probably leave with more questions and that's deliberate because I don't want us to only ever think about this stuff here on a Sunday. We should be thinking that we encourage everybody to be in. I really believe one of our C3 churches says that we uh, learn in rows, but we grow in groups, so we grow in circles. And it's really important to be doing life with people, especially when you never know when the gathering together has a large. But if that's taken away, it's so important we have close relationships with people that we discuss these things with, pray for each other and encourage each other, and you can find out more about groups later. But if I was to get up here today... And tell you, everything is meaningless. Do you feel encouraged? That's how one of the the books in the Bible actually starts off. So we're going to go, don't worry, it's not going to end there. But if I was to get up and say, everything is meaningless, there isn't a purpose, it's all for nothing, you're probably like, what is this guy smoking today? But that's how the book of Ecclesiastes actually starts off. So every book in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus Christ and foreshadowing that, and then every book after him is pointing us back to him. It's all in Christ. That's why we're a Christ-centered church. So we can learn wisdom, we can learn lessons from the Old Testament books, but ultimately they're meant to point us to the need for Jesus in our life. So the book of Ecclesiastes, it's known as part of the wisdom literature, if you have your... um, bibles with you or your phones or you're taking notes you can go to ecclesiastes there and it's going to come up on the sky bible when i start reading it here behind me and it's known as part of the wisdom literature literature although it's never specifically stated tradition would say that the author is king Solomon. um king solomon the bible says one of the wisest with somebody a little later on than um king solomon who wrote this book uh you know, maybe the reason it's not stated in Scripture is because it's not overly important. Um, I happen to believe it's King Solomon for a few things, partly because of church tradition for thousands of years, or, or Israelite tradition, because they're in And then in chapter 12, it also says, out of this journey that we go on through the Scripture, that he recorded a bunch, a bunch of proverbs. And we know that King Solomon wrote lots of proverbs in the Scripture. So my leaning is towards it being um, King Solomon, and King Solomon's wealthy and rich and has um, everything at his disposal. But he goes on this journey here in Ecclesiastes that I want to take us on today because he learned some great lessons. I've learned that, um, you know, there's this saying that we should learn from our mistakes. And, you know, some of the best lessons we learn in life are from mistakes. Has anybody ever come an a mistake that you've learned from? Yeah, that's not the only thing, though. Sometimes it's better to learn from someone else's mistakes. Don't know if you've ever learned that either. I'm very glad I wasn't the first guy to try uh, defy the law of gravity, jump off a big cliff. I'm, I'm glad that I can learn from his mistake. And really, that's the heart of the author of this book. He he's, goes through this journey, and he's saying, learn from my mistakes. Don't go through this journey. Learn from this. And so I think we can learn from um, the author of Ecclesiastes today. So let's read chapter 1 here. It says, The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and it sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and then turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course all streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the, place of streams come, to the place streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, nor the ear it's full of hearing. What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be re- remembered by those who follow them. Welcome to church today. I hope you're feeling <laughs> and charged up and energetic. This guy's having a bad day. But we all have bad days. I just wanted to set a little bit of the context of where he's going here. And then in good conscience, I can't read any more to the point of the scripture. But we see here King Solomon reflecting or the teacher reflecting and going, everything I've done, is, it doesn't seem to have any meaning or purpose to it. I don't know if anyone's ever felt that. You've, you've set your heart on doing something and achieving something great. And maybe it was great. And then when you finally do it, you, uh, you run that big race build that big house or you get that promotion and it's a good feeling for a time but there's still something left wanting afterwards inside it didn't fulfill quite like we thought it might fulfill us and the teacher here goes on and uh there'll be a list come up behind me but we see that he tries to find fulfillment in everything that he can it says there that um, he was trying to find it in scientific discovery and what what kind of things can he get forward and do? Wisdom and philosophy. He then goes about seeking out every pleasure here on the planet: alcohol, architecture, property, and luxury. None of it fulfills him. He, at the end of the day, continues to say, "meaningless, meaningless, meaningless." Different philosophies to find meaning. He even goes into materialism, maybe like Bob and Penny there at the start, that American dream that we're all sold, that uh, billions and billions and billions of dollars is, um, and even moral codes and the way they're living. And he goes on to show in, through Ecclesiastics there, that um, whenever these things, we are trying to use them as the source uh, of finding meaning and purpose in our life, they ultimately will fail. His conclusion out at the end is we find it in chapter 12. And in verse 1, here's an his, uh, older gentleman, remember, who's gone through it all trying to teach us and we can learn from his mistakes. He says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before the day, verse 13 says, now if all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. For this is the duty of all mankind. What? Can it be that simple after twelve chapters of him saying this didn't uh, I didn't find meaning in this or doing it this way or I tried all these things, and his conclusion after that is three things: fear God, keep his commandments, and then he kind of explains because that's the duty of mankind now fear God, I want to explain that a little bit because um, and this even came up after last week's service. I had a chat with a new friend who could never quite get past that term fear God in the Bible because we're told to not be afraid of God. He, he loves us. And we've got to kind of remember that should, And um, that term fear God doesn't mean to be afraid of God like I need to run and hide from him. Whenever we see fear God in the Bible in this kind of context, it means to hold in reverence, to hold in high esteem and great honor. See, it's not to be afraid of, but we should fear a God who holds the you, often we're in His hand with such power and such um such magnitude. Often we're afraid of the things of the world, and at the moment there's a whole bunch of people afraid of things that we shouldn't be afraid of. But at the Word of God says, no. Like, fear God, hold Him in high esteem. He is wonderful. He is magnificent. He is all. But let's not let. But He is good, and He is gracious and in our life outweigh the fact that he is all-powerful and he is reverent and we need to get some of the reverence of God back in our lives I know I do as well to not take him for granted as my friend because he is my friend but also to remember that he is the creator and we, and he is um, to be held in great esteem because of who he is so the the conclusion here is that we need to hold God in reverence this is how we find purpose and meaning. To keep his commandments, and that's the word of God. Uh, the writer, the uh, old who I, again, think is Solomon, um, would have been talking about the, the book of the law, the uh, Old Testament there. But uh, then coming through the cross and filtered through Jesus, Scripture for us. It we no longer need to obey the laws to to before we can come to God, but we get to obey them out of being from a place of connection with God because of what He did on the cross for us. That's the gospel that we couldn't live it out by ourselves. So Jesus came and lived the life that we couldn't live, died the death that we should have died, rose over death that we could be in relationship with the Father. And have great connection with Him, and then we get to obey the God, not out of, uh, obey the Word of God, not out of some obligation, but out of the overflow of His love for us. That's the gospel, and it's such a beautiful thing. And it, so it says to keep His commandments, because that's the duty of mankind. We are actually designed and made to function well. When we'll look here and see how in fear of God and keeping His commandments. So let's jump to the life of Jesus and look here and see how this idea of purpose, because this is us, we are a people of purpose, but we find our purpose in God and not the things that we do. Um, if we are to truly believe the claims of Jesus, as many of us do here today, and maybe some of us are exploring that, one of the claims that Jesus makes, and its He does this uh, after He's, died. He's resurrected. He's hanging out again with his uh, disciples. He's spending some time here on the earth before he ascended to heaven. And he leads the greatest Bible study that ever took place in Luke 23, verse 44. If I goes from the beginning of Scripture to the end the, of, of all the Old Testament prophets and the law, and he explains how it points to him. Um, he, he says that everything is a foreshadowing pointing to and fulfilled in him. And so if we truly believe this claim, then we need to be able to look at the book of Ecclesiastes and go, okay, so somehow this meaningless, meaningless book is meant to point us to Jesus and our relationship with him. In John 5, verse 39, Jesus states, he says, he says to the um, to the Pharisees of the day, the religious crowds, he said, you're searching the scriptures because you think you find life in the scriptures. You find your purpose in that the scriptures alone but they actually bear witness to me. The searching of, in John chapter 15 of the reading of the word is actually meant to point us to Jesus. And here in John chapter 15, verse 10 and 11, Jesus really summarizes what the, the teacher in Ecclesiastes is writing. He says, uh, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, And that your joy may be full. Jesus' lifestyle always gave credit to God, his Father. So Jesus is me to do. He's the Son, but he's always giving credit to the Father. He never built his life or found it in the um, things that he did. Now, if anybody could, Jesus could have some things to find meaning in, to find his purpose in. To find, to find his fulfillment in. Jesus, this is a guy who was uh, turning water into wine. He was um, walking on water. He was seeing people healed and delivered and set free. Yet he never gets there and goes, this is where my fulfillment and where I can find all the things. in These things that I'm doing, don't you see what I'm doing? This is what's giving me meaning. No, he actually always says it's in the Father and the Father alone. So as followers of he looked to the things that he was doing to find purpose, he looked to the Father. Maybe that's something we need to do as well. Maybe it's not in what we do, but it's in who he is in our life. So last week, like I said, I believe each one of us as individuals are placed in a place connected to people with the potential and purpose to do something great. But Jesus shows us that we need to get the order right. It's not about doing something great first. It's about abiding in him, and out of that, great things happen. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God works. We are created for good things. We need to believe that again. I'm a part of a generation, and we have gotten from generations represented here today, but I'm a part of a generation, I think, that really has forgotten that one person can actually make a huge impact on the community, a huge impact in the city around, that one person has the potential to change the world, that you and I, we all have the potential to change the world. I can already feel it in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've heard all this stuff all our lives, but it doesn't work out that way. I'm I'm working a, a mundane job. I'm working this, but we got to understand how God works through people. You see, we might find ourselves in a circumstance that feels repetitive and mundane, but we come across somebody who's having a bad day, week, and change the people around them, and maybe make a lifestyle shift to get out of the um, the the kind of the valley that they're in and pick up, go on and start a non-for-profit or a business or something, and they end up changing the world simply because you took the time to be light in their life. We've all got the potential to change the world in little ways every day. Are we walking, We're created for it, that God's actually prepared beforehand for us to walk in? So are we walking in those good things that He's created for us? Or are we getting distracted By the craziness, and it is, I don't think that's a stretch to use that word, craziness of the world we've found ourselves in. I think any of us would have really believed it at the time. It's like we're living in the twilight zone at times. But in that, God's still good. And He's still on the throne. And He still has good things for us to do. And maybe He's actually created us for such a time as this, to be light in a time where everything else seems to be dark. Not world but we gotta get the order right. God's called us to be world changers, not world chasers. Not to chase after the things of this world, not to like we saw the teacher in Ecclesiastes, he would chase after finding meaning in all these things, and it wouldn't work out. So then he'd go to alcohol and try to get a buzz out of that, but it never satisfied. So then he went on to philosophy and moral and in, in the end it was only when he came back to God and worshipped him and lived out those. Laws that God has put forward, those steps that he's given us, that he found fulfillment and purpose. We're called to be world changers, not world chasers. So here in my final 10, um, as we've kind of looked at purpose, and again, uh, God has a great purpose for our life. I just don't want us to think that we're going to find fulfillment, fulfillment in the things that we do outside of knowing who God is and who he is in our life. But what does this change for our week? When we can get that idea that we're meant to be world changers, not world chasers, that we're not going to find money, the getting rich and getting that big house. We all know people who have a big house that aren't very happy. Or they got to the top of their um, work uh, ladder, the chain, they rose the channel, but their marriage failed or they ended up in drugs. They ended up still wanting something else. They ended up lonely. Because we weren't created to find fulfillment in these things. We're only created to find it in God. So what does it change for our week to understand that our purpose doesn't come from things but from God? Well, here's a few things. It reminds us that circumstances, lack of material things or abundance, doesn't determine our worth or impact that we can have. It helps us that when we step out in faith, like we're meant to do, do something crazy by a worldly standard, or we feel like we're meant to have a career change or start something or do something good for people and we step out and we think we've heard from God and we take that step out and it fails miserably. It was going to look like this. Has anyone had that experience? I know I have. God, you told me to do it. I just, you didn't tell me it was going to look like this. I'm embarrassed now. I'm humbled and all those things. But when we know that it isn't found in those things, when those things happen, it doesn't need to destroy us or take us out because our purpose isn't found in them, regardless of what happens. things that are worldly ways. What else does it do? It shows us that some of those things that we're trying to find our meaning in currently. And I think the Holy Spirit may be highlighting to us in this place and in, in these last few minutes um, we're going to pray. Uh, he's highlighting things that we've been trying to find fulfillment and not want us to anymore. We all have these in some way or another, I think. And we just need to be able to humble ourselves, listen to God, and let Him reveal it and deal with it. There's no condemnation in this place today. I love that. In God's presence, there's no condemnation. But maybe He convicts us that we've been trying to find our worth in something that we're trying to find meaning in. Um, We need to drop them aside and look to God because even though they're good things... They're not able to give us that fullness of joy and peace that is only found in knowing and being known by God. So my question here today in closing, are are we trying to find our purpose and identity in worldly things rather than abiding in God's love? How's that working out for us? Not talking about how's it working out on our Instagram feed, or on the things that we talk about at parties, I'm talking about deep down inside are those things actually fulfilling us from worldly ideas and comforts. And today, redirect our energy back to discovering the depths of God's love, grace, and mercy for us. If I can invite the band back up here as we close the service. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite writers and theologians and apologists, Um, and he wrote a pretty good novel, too, for anyone who's read The Lion and the Witch Wardrobe. C.S. Lewis says, Don't let your happiness depend on something that you may lose. Now, that might sound funny, but everything, even good things that God has in our lives can be lost. But when we find it in God, we have no chance to lose just houses, cars, boats, toys. They can all be lost. Money can be lost. Highs that we try to chase after can be lost. Our health, our pleasures, you know, even good things in our life. I see often as a pastor, um, people who have, whether it's a spouse or a partner, or even in their kids, they've taken good things and elevated them to the status of God-like things in their life. So they begin to worship their marriage. They begin to worship their job. Some people even begin to worship their kids, and of course they wouldn't say it like that, but when it's taken away, when something happens in the marriage, it's a pretty good indicator of an idol that God doesn't want us to have. These are good things. I love my marriage. Where's my wife, anyway? I'm talking about my marriage. She's got to hear me talk about my marriage, you know. I love my wife. Gets brownie points. you got to keep going. I love my wife. I love my marriage. It would be unfair for me to put her in the status of where I find all my meaning and all my purpose and all my fuf- fuf- fulfillment because God hasn't created it to be that for me. I love my, my sons, they're awesome. Um, well, they're, most of the time they're awesome, they're pretty good most of the time. I got a three year old and an 11 uh, month old coming up, he's gonna turn one here pretty soon. And, um, and I love them so much and they bring me, gotta be careful that I don't elevate them to a status where I find all my meaning and purpose in them because eventually they're gonna grow up and have their own lives. And then where am I if I built my foundations upon them? All these things come and go and that's really what the writer at Ecclesiastes is saying there. Um, it sounds a bit emo and it made us all a little bit like down when he got there and said that meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. But really the point of that word and I encourage you to read that book this week Just make sure you read it all the way through, don't stop halfway through because you end up utterly depressed until you get to the ending that He's not actually saying that these things aren't great. He's not saying that these things aren't good, but He's saying outside of the context of knowing who God is and the grand scheme of things, these things cannot satisfy, but only God's love can and His presence in our life. So... I want to spend a couple minutes here just allowing crazy upstairs. Here. But if you open yourself up today, I believe he will reveal and speak things to you. And um, and then we're gonna pray. But I just want to take a moment so we could close our eyes, and this isn't something weird or freaky, this is out of respect for each other, but also to silence the noise around us and actually take a moment to reflect here as individuals. We never want to come to church without an opportunity to respond to what God's doing in our lives. So just ask yourself this or ask God this to a higher degree or trying to find meaning and purpose in that you don't want me to. God, would you reveal that to us now? God, is the things in our lives that we're trying to find our ultimate purpose in. And they're actually getting in the way of us experiencing the love that you have for us. God, I pray in this place today you would reveal these things to us because you reveal and show us these things not because you're condemning, it's because you want to actually remove them so we can experience the fullness of joy that Jesus spoke about in that passive life that you have for us, that purpose that you have for us where we can find meaning is when the obstacles are removed. And on the cross, you removed every obstacle when you came and died for us. You removed the obstacle of sin. There was separating us from a holy God, but you also removed the obstacles of distractions. You remove the obstacles of um, placing our values and our eyes on things that you wouldn't want us to. You removed all this and opened up a way to get straight to the Father's presence where we can only find our true identity. So Lord, in this place, as you reveal these things, I thank you that you just show us ways to remove these from our life and that we would come back to you today and we'd keep the main. God says it like this, to, to fear you. But not out of an afraid that you have bad intention for us, but uh, a fear that says, God, wow, you're amazing and you're powerful, and you're so good, and you're the creator, and you hold it all together in your hands, yet you want to have relationship with us. Wow. God, we want to be a people who fear you in that way. And that we would Obey your commandments, Lord, your written commandments and also the calling that you're calling us into as you lead us and command us as individuals. And God, I thank you that you've designed us. The duty of all mankind is to to simply to hold you in reverence and to obey your commands. Remove that today and people would feel the fullness of your love in this place. I really feel that Lord's calling Uh, people back to him today and I want to respect that thanks for listening to hear more messages like this one make sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our C3 Calgary live stream on YouTube if this message resonated with you and you'd like to give to our church you can do so on our website at myc3church.ca see you next week